Um, sorry about that. It's the middle of the week and the end of the day. Festivities are kicking in, but we are super, super excited to have you all over here. My name is Meher and I'm going to be a host for today's for today evening. Um, joining us today is Advaita Nair, co-founder at Nika, India's largest beauty e-commerce platform that's now an omni-channel retailer. And it's all thanks to whatever Advaita's put in. Uh, post setting up Nika, Advaita also established the fashion business, Nika Fashion, in 2018, which she now leads as CEO. For all her contribution to India's beauty and fashion markets, Fortune India and the Economic Times have featured her in this year's list of 40 under 40 achievers. Congratulations for all of that and more, Adveta, and a big thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you so much. I was just checking that I wasn't on mute. Uh, honestly, it's such a privilege and pleasure to be here. I think, you know, I didn't know too much about what the club was doing. And then when, when you guys reached out to me, I researched it. And um, I think it's an absolutely incredible initiative. And so I was just telling the organizers right before this that uh, I feel really happy to be here. And I, I would love to kind of contribute and uh, share any learnings of mine that could be helpful to you. Absolutely. I think members have been waiting to hear from you. And uh, I'll drop in a fun fact here. Uh, you know, when members are onboarded uh, to Deep Club, we always ask them, what's the company that you always, that you admire? And Nika happens to be one of the top choices each and every time. So congratulations for what you built here. Oh, thank you so much. I think that's uh, incredibly kind. And um, we're often struck by the love that both consumers and uh, you know, just just women across the country feel for us. I think that that's really what makes Nika quite special for us. Absolutely. Uh, before we hear more from you, Advaita, I'm going to get to know you a little better and I'm going to play a quick game of rapid fire with you. Uh, very short questions, uh, but are you ready? I don't think I'm ever ready for rapid fire, but I think we can uh, we can try. We're going to make it as simple as possible. So I'll get started. Yes. Uh, the first one is staying local or going global? I think going global, I love to travel. <laughs> I don't think that's a popular choice, but. Okay, complete the following sentence. If you could get one superpower for a day, it would be. Um, completely even keel, no, no highs and lows, just, you know, just very, very steady in emotion. Absolutely. Okay. In one word, describe what's it like to work with family? Overwhelming. <laughs> the one book you keep going back to? The one book? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like a total nerd. I read a ton. I have a lot of books that I go to. Um, I love the Amazon series by Brad Stone, both the Everything Store, which is his first book and his second book, Unbound. I think for anyone who's in e-commerce, those are books you have to read. Uh, I love Marcus Aurelius, uh, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, so the great Stoic thinker. Um, I love Maya Angelou's poetry, so those would be some of my favorites. All right, I see a lot of people typing in and looking for these books right away. Uh, your pick, beauty or fashion? Uh, fashion. And finally, the one advice you'll give to all future entrepreneurs. You have to be incredibly thick-skinned and you have to know that it is going to take you 10 years to build anything good. And so get ready for at least a 10-year journey. That's, uh, those are some really candid answers. And Adveta, I think very hard hitting as well, especially the last one. So thank you so much for that. And we can't wait to hear more from you. I'm actually going to deep, uh, dive in right away. Um, in 2012, you co-founded Nika along with Falguni and you completely disrupted the beauty market. Uh, this was the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey along with your mother. But in some ways, it was the first of many for you. You know, you went on to set up the entire retail business at Nika. You then launched Nika Fashion. 
So what's this journey of a serial entrepreneur been like? And, you know, we see the successes of it all, but behind the scenes, what are some of the challenges you faced and some big lessons that have stayed with you? I'd yeah. love to hear so I think all of you should get uh, ready for the fact that I'm like incredibly transparent. I think one of the best things that I can do for budding entrepreneurs and women is just be honest. I think there's so much uh, sort of positioning that is now done um, where we all pretend to have it all sort of figured out. And so I think you should get ready for a conversation where I'm just incredibly honest. And honestly, my mother, my brother, my friends are like, why are you so honest? But I feel like that's the most uh, important thing we can do to kind of contribute uh, to other people's journeys. So uh, Nike has been incredibly tough as a journey. I think a lot of the glamour that you see today, 10 years into the journey, it wasn't always like that. When we first started the business, 2012, 2013, 2014, these were incredibly, incredibly difficult years. And I always love talking about that because I think today, when you look at Nike, this IPO company, $7 billion market cap valuation, um, it just seems everything's sort of going for it. But I think you have to remember those first three years were absolutely everything used to go wrong. So everything from the fact that we couldn't keep our management team, we lost all our CXOs within the first year. We went through at least four or five CTOs before we got the one that finally stuck. Um, we, you know, for so many months, we couldn't even get to 100 orders a day, right? I think it took us two years to get to 100 orders a day. And today we would comfortably be crossing uh, 60, 70,000 orders a day. But, you know, those early days, I remember we would just constantly look at the screen saying, when will we get the 50th order, the 60th order, 100th order. It was, you know, you didn't even have product market fit then. Um, raising money was incredibly hard. We must have gone and spoken to over 100 investors who would just constantly reject us. Um, you know, they would make us sit in their lobby. They wouldn't give us meetings. Uh, they would really sort of belittle us when we spoke to them. So all of that has also happened. Um, and, you know, even for me personally, it, it, you know, I think when companies are struggling and, it really was struggling. It's very hard to remain positive, to remain resilient, to be the sort of leader that you want to be. And um, so it was a very difficult time. And I think uh, that's why I always say what you really need, what all of us need to develop, not just for business, but for life is you need to be so thick skinned. Because I think in this journey, you go through so many setbacks, uh, so many disappointments that unless you're thick skinned, you simply cannot get through, uh, get through the journey. So for me, I personally struggled a lot with it. I'm a very sensitive, emotional person growing up. Um, but I really had to realize that if I brought that much level of emotion to my work, I would really burn out. You know, so in the early days when people would quit, that used to really, really upset me. Now today I'm you know, in an organization of 4,000 people or so I get a couple of resignations every day. But you, know, you, you just have to learn to thicken up, not, not let everything be personal, not let everything get to you. Absolutely. I think uh, a lot of these things was something that we don't see on the outside, right? We only see the glamour part of it, like you said. Um, I actually want to uh, just kind of go down on one thing that you mentioned. You said raising money was hard. And I, I remember reading somewhere you mentioned that um, the, one, this was one of the key challenges, you know, raising funds for Nika because of the absence of women in key positions at VC firms. That's a challenge that you thought you faced as well. Um, it's something that a lot of our founder members also face. And I think we've had a lot of hard-hitting conversations about this. Any advice for members over here that how can they overcome this bias and what are some of the things that they can take, keep in mind? Look, I think my advice is less for the founders in this room, but more for you know the investing community at large and not just investing communities, even all of us who are building businesses I think there needs to be so much more diversity in these places, right? If, you, if you're talking to just boardrooms filled of men, 
who don't understand beauty, who don't understand fashion, how do you expect them to be able to spot an opportunity, right? So I remember so many early conversations where men would be like, but how much beauty can women use, right? And all of us now know that you can use a lot of beauty products. Um, you know, their whole understanding of beauty and fashion is basis what their wife or what their girlfriend consumes. So I think um, it, it's really a pity that venture capital doesn't bring more women to the table because half the businesses of this world, half the consumers are women. So businesses will be built for women. And uh, I think it's a pity. So my advice is more for venture capitalists, please add women. Uh, I think that diversity brings, uh, you know, just incredible results. And I think for all of you building businesses, my advice would be make sure your leadership teams, make sure your teams, forget leadership or not leadership, are very diverse. Women, men, um, you know, sexuality, religion, diversity of education, diversity of background. I feel diversity of age. I think age is another thing where you have to have a lot of diversity. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, just having that diversity in a room creates magic. Absolutely. Um, I also want to go back on the entire thing. I think we've spoken about your entrepreneurial journey so far, but um, talking about Nika, you know, before 2012, uh, the beauty industry, so to say, was very fragmented into tier one where you had your airport, uh, you know, you had your shops at the airport or you had high retail luxury stores and you had a tier two where in a Kirana store, you would get like a couple of products as well. So there was a huge gap that was obviously there. And uh, with Nika, you somewhere address that gap. But how do you choose that this is what you wanted to build with Nika? I think that's a question a lot of people are very intrigued about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I have to say this was all my mom's idea. And uh, I'll tell you how she thought about it because, you know, we've always been like best friends and I was just graduating undergrad back in 2012 and she was just quitting her job at Kotak where she'd been a banker for a long time. And she we used to keep talking on the phone back then. Uh, I was just graduating, she was just quitting. And she kept saying, I wanna be an entrepreneur, I wanna be an entrepreneur. And then she just started reading research reports, right? Like she was a banker, so she had access to research reports. She would read a lot of research reports and she started honing in on three ideas. And I think one was this beauty idea, one was um, the equivalent of an Airbnb idea. And one was, uh, I think, something related to old age. Um, and eventually she researched a lot and, and we both read a lot about beauty and we felt that it was one of those verticals. Uh, beauty is an incredible business, actually. You know, it's, I, I can talk endlessly about why beauty is such a good business, but very high gross margin, tiny products. Actually, beauty is one of the places where you have the highest sales per square foot because they're just tiny products. Um, there's a lot of brand concentration. So the top 10 brands in the world are extremely powerful. That means they can invest in your platform. You can build your platform well. So it was by this very analytical sort of logical approach that uh, she narrowed down on beauty. And we always joke that in our house, prior to launching Nika, we must have had one lipstick between the two of us. And forget knowing anything about beauty, right? We didn't know anything. Um, so it wasn't really a passion for the category. It was more a desire to be an entrepreneur and then spotting a white space. No, that's very interesting to learn that it, it was a very analytical sort of uh, question, uh, sort of decision as well. Um, but going forward, like how many of your decisions, especially when you launched Nika Fashion, for example, is it is it always data driven or is it like a gut driven decision also that comes through? I don't think it's just data driven for sure. I think um, I think building at least strong consumer products comes from really as a consumer feeling a lot of pain points uh, and then developing and designing around that. Um, so both feeling it yourself, talking to a lot of consumers, doing a lot of research and piecing together what you think is the gap in the white space. And I think a lot of that comes from conviction um, mm -hmm. that is often not data led. So even with Nika Fashion, for example, and I hope all of you have the Nika Fashion app, it's a separate app. I feel like I need to stand on top of roofs and say fashion is a separate app from beauty. 
Um, but definitely if you don't download it, I think with fashion, what I felt, you know, three years ago when we started looking at it was, um, you know, let, let's just talk about why we started fashion. So recap for everyone, we started beauty in 2012. We were on that journey. And like I said, first three years were difficult. By 2015, things started doing well. By 2017, we were in a really good place on the beauty side. And it was, you know, it had sort of become the fourth largest beauty retailer in the world. Um, around then, uh, you know, my mom started saying, hey, Adata, what next? What should we do next? And uh, the logical answer was like fashion, you know, because fashion is five to six X the size of the beauty market. Uh, all of us know this, right? Like in this room, all of us need clothes, but maybe 20, 30% of us really buy beauty products. Not everyone is a beauty consumer. So just from that basic thing that, hey, fashion is just a big market, should we consider it? Uh, then I started looking a lot into fashion, right? And I downloaded Mintra and Agio and everyone else. Um, and I realized that all these apps talk discount first. Everything is saying cash back, money back, tops under 500, kurtas under 300. I, I think, look, Indians have a budget and we will always be value conscious. But I, I strongly feel, knowing women, that I don't think our decisions start with price. I think our decisions start with wanting to look good, wanting to get a new, wanting to explore a new style, wanting to express yourself differently, wanting to learn something. And then of course your secondary consideration is obviously price because everyone has a budget. So what we're really trying to do with Nike Fashion is shift the discourse away from price, price, discount, discount to more like, hey, how do you style yourself for Diwali? Hey, how do you really, you know, ace a jumpsuit or a quad set? So like this whole insight is not data led. It's like just a sincere gut feeling that this is how Indian women are headed and this is what they want. No, that's very interesting to hear. And especially, um, I want to actually ask you a question on the bit where you mentioned that after beauty, the question was, what next? Um, a lot of our founder members actually have this question that, you know, you recognize that, okay, beauty was flourishing and it was doing really well and you wanted to launch the new category. Um, what were some of the key factors that drove you that this is the time that we need to launch a new category and this is the decision that you want to go ahead with? Anything uh, that stayed with you? Um, so you're asking that, like, really, what was the thinking about yeah, why next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, why be after beauty, do you want to launch fashion? And um, when did you realize it was the right time to start a new category, basically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, again, I've learned this a lot from my mom, but um, she's taught me that, you know, I think really enduring companies for a long time, uh, if you want to be a really compelling company that really lives on for generations and decades, you need to make sure that you have enough growth engines in place. Right? So beauty is growing exponentially, but if we look 10 years ahead, it will be really important to have another growth engine in place. Um, so it just depends on what kind of company you want to be. I think there are enough companies who say, look, we want to do this one thing. We don't want to be an insanely high growth company. But then there are other companies who say we want to be insanely high growth. And so therefore, you need to keep launching more and more growth initiatives. So I think people like Amazon, for example, is a very high growth company, like every year, they're launching new businesses, new ideas, new topics, which so is about which company you want to be. And I think we've taken a decision that we want to be a high growth company. So I think you can expect that we will have more growth engines that will be placed in, in, in the near future. I think we're all excited to see that and see what's next for Nika for sure. Uh, you spoke about Amazon and you said like, you know, uh, with the kind of stuff that they're doing, Amazon was already a very well-established e-commerce that was just bustling with so many new categories every day. And that I think was the, everyone's go-to for e-commerce at that point in time as well. Um, were there any thoughts about, you know, competing with a big brand like that at that point in time and um, seeing how do you want to create that space for Nika uh, in this space? Yeah. No, I think even when we started and often we'll get the question that, but, 
you know, how do you, how do you defend yourself against horizontals like Amazon? Like you can go on Amazon and buy um, some amount of this product. Uh, so I think we do firmly believe, we're believers in vertical commerce. We believe that there is an audience who wants to have a fashion specific experience, who wants to have a beauty specific experience and wants to go really deep into it. We do believe that there are enough consumers who say we don't want to buy lipstick from the same place where we buy our cell phone and where we buy our toilet paper. I think there are obviously customers who are happy to buy everything on one platform, but we also think that there are consumers who want to be more vertically focused. Um, and I think any category where you require education, inspiration, uh, and more detailed buying experience, I think you can make a vertical experience work. So beauty, fashion, kids, home, I think in all of these divisions, you can and will have vertical players. Amazon Flipkart will always be amazing players because horizontals have immense strength, uh, but there's always a customer who's looking for something more focused as well. I think that's exactly what draws us to Nika also, right? You know exactly where what you'll get at Nika and you're short of um, just everything in that space as well. Um, I actually want to now talk about a lot more about, you know, how you've kind of the culture that you brought up at Nika and all. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, what were some of the key decisions that you took? Um, I know a lot of questions that come in are, you know, you found your product, you found, um, you'd see that it's, you want to something basically, right? And now the next step, a lot of people wonder, and a lot of chatter around this is also, what do you do next? Do you raise funds? Do you market your product to get more cash flow? Do you start hiring the right team? How do you go about like building that empire, so to say, once you've found like a product that's working for you in some some way? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I think back to the early years of Nika, people often ask questions like this, like what comes first, what comes second? I think you kind of have to go at everything um, at the same time and in many different directions. So uh, I don't think it's super sequential. Like, you know, I think when you're first launching, you're like, okay, uh, we need to convince the brand. So then you convince 200 brands or so. Then you're like, okay, we need to launch the website. So you launch a scrappy website. Then you're like, okay, we need to get some marketing in place. You do everything, performance, influencer, email, everything. And then, okay, you're at a good place. You're like, okay, now I'm getting 100 orders a day. But then the next step is like, wait, I need to get to a thousand orders a day. You need to go and do everything again. You need to go talk to the next 300 brands. You need to take your marketing to the next level. You need to go make sure your ops is secure. So I almost think of it as like this spiral, like just going up where you kind of need to keep touching all your functions again and again to constantly strengthen it. Um, so that's how I think like sort of functionally how I would think about what needs to go into it. But I think apart from that, a couple of tips, like I think, um, Raising money is really important. You need enough money to actually see your bet through. And I think if Nike did not have enough money in the early days, which I see a lot of entrepreneurs who just don't have enough money, they're not able to see their idea through for even two years. And you see it one year, you're out of money and you're like, shut shop. But often ideas just need a little bit more time. So I think having the good fortune to be well-funded is really important. And if uh, you know, securing that funding at least for a couple of years so your idea has a chance to take off is really important. So I think I've seen a lot of startups having to close just because they they could not give it more than a year. Uh, I think another thing, though, the flip of that is not not taking too much money too early. Uh, so again, I think like being really smart about how much money you need. Um, if you take too much money too early, you end up really diluting yourself. And I think you know, remember, you have to own this company for decades. So if you dilute yourself way too much in the early years, it's very hard to you know crawl that back. So taking just the amount you need so that it fuels you for your next level of growth and then raising again uh, so that your dilution is as less as possible is, is another piece of advice. Uh, even now, we're talking about the money bit as well. Uh, another dilemma, so to say, has always been, you know, 
bootstrapped or venture capitalism which way to go uh, and again this there's, there's so many different and contradictory uh, you know thoughts about this what what's one advice that you would recommend to keep in mind when you're making this decision so again i'm a fan of bootstrapped till you can um but again like your 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 bootstrap has to still be enough that you can get so far and the reason i would say that is it goes back exactly to my prior answer the more you can keep within your ownership and and sort of delay your funding it's good for you in the long run because you just keep more ownership um but i think in the short run if your bootstrap amount is just simply not enough you fall back into the first trap i mentioned no fair enough i think i think somewhere also it kind of differentiates for the company and the product that you're trying to build right kind of capital intensive uh, product and stuff that you're trying to do um another i think i heard this in one of your interviews with barkha that you mentioned that uh, that you bring three things to the table at nike one was um, you know just the millennial millennial understanding of the work uh, mute please sorry about that uh yeah i'm going to get back to this uh, i was talking about the three things that you bring to the table at nike uh, one was authenticity the second was millennial understanding of the workforce and the third thing you spoke about was the power of tech uh, would love to would love for you to elaborate a little bit more and tell us how has this been a game changer for nike uh all three or one of them would love to hear on all three i think these are three things that i think have tied together really beautifully at nike so would love to see hear more on that okay. yeah absolutely i think i'll start with the order in which i think they played out i think millennial understanding came naturally to me because i am a millennial um and i think that you know that's why again i love diversity in teams because my mom was obviously in her 50s i was a millennial um she was bringing in some good talent at that age i was bringing in a lot of my school friends who came and joined us at nike in the early days and you know these millennials and our understanding of millennial marketing i think is something that has differentiated nike even till today our understanding of you know social media understanding of how consumers want to be spoken to our understanding of what the millennial values are so i think i saw that playing out in the early years and that i think is one you know one one way i contributed um the second is i think quickly thereafter the power of tech i love technology and um i'm kind of like a very scientific sort of quantitative person i studied math in undergrad i love uh i really love like technical things so i think i loved exploring tech and i my my cto jokes that before he joined i was like a pseudo cto with no no experience because i just loved technology so i read a lot about everything from magento to apis to what code we should be coding in to devops um and that's something i poured my heart and soul into and i just enjoyed it uh and i've always kind of understood that all our functions all our businesses can be enabled by tech in a very large way and uh lastly and probably the one um i think is most important is authenticity i think the world just needs more authenticity and that's why i started off the conversation the way i did um it's something i really try to bring every day to my teams to the way i interact with people um both in the workplace and outside you know i think i think all of us have so many you know we're we're not we don't know everything we're not all figured out and i think it's important that everyone sees that you know i i want people you know when i was younger i'd look at people and be like oh they've got it all figured out i look at people and be like oh that person seems to know absolutely everything they're doing and then you get to the stage and you guys all might look at me and be like oh she knows what she's doing but i just really want you all to know that i think at every level you have your own doubts and fears and insecurities and you know things that you're learning and dealing with you're not the best at everything but it's a process and i think that's what i try to bring into the company a lot i, I want everyone to just be a little real with each other 
Absolutely. And I think very powerful words also said by you, especially on the authenticity bit. And I think that's something that is a core ingredient for anything that you want to build at the end of the day. Um, you spoke a little bit about the millennial marketing. And I, and I think we all know that Nike has just been this um, superstar, so to say, when it comes to, you know, content marketing strategies. And it's one of the top players in digital marketing also in today's time. Um, how do you ensure that you can continuously keep evolving the marketing game at Nika for customers to come back and to create that retention, so to say? Uh, you stayed at the top of the game, and I think a lot of founders on the chat box, I think a lot of members on the chat box are also asking how pivotal and how important is marketing um, for a company? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, marketing has so many layers to it. Like the first is just getting your pulse. And, and by the way, I'm only, I'm really right now just talking about consumer facing brands and products. Uh, like first, just getting your pulse on what the consumer feels, right? What are their values? So again, because I, I was the consumer, I was this millennial, you know, girl, girl, and 10 years ago at 22. Um, I, I knew that our, I think we all must not be that far in age, but, um, None of us want to hear that you're putting on makeup for some guy, right? Like you just know you're putting on makeup for yourself. Like they're just, you have to speak the right value that the customer resonates with. Um, so I think that's one aspect of marketing is you just got to get your pulse on what the consumer is feeling and thinking and, and make sure your brand is talking to that. I think then becoming more tactical about marketing, I always look at it in two parts. You've got your performance marketing, which is... Um, all about like, it's very technical, it's very analytical. You need to make sure you have the right people on your team or the right agencies on your side. Uh, it can be incredibly powerful, but it's constantly changing. And so just really having experts there is important. And then you've got your non-digital, which is influencers. That's something that's worked incredibly well for us. Social media, content creation. Content creation has been a huge thing, being scrappy about it, constantly creating videos on how to do anything and everything, how to tutorials, how to style it, this, that. Uh, you know, PR, emails, this goes back to one of the previous points I said that um, I think you have to do all of the marketing. You can't just say we're only going to do social. You have to do the emailers, even if you think the reach is not worth it. You have to do the PR, even if you think the reach is not worth it. You have to do the influencers, even if you don't see the immediate ROI, because I think all these three things, like the right values, um, the right performance marketing, and then the right non-digital marketing all comes together. In terms of how to stay relevant, I think, um, I know I'm definitely feeling at Nika that we need a younger, I, I'm trying to hire a lot of younger people uh, because I feel that again, like, you know, the core audience is 24 to 28 and I'm no longer that age. I want to make sure we have the right people who understand what those people are talking about. And uh, it often shocks me, but like the, the new styles and, and all of that, I, I feel like such an old person because my whole 10 years, I've been the young, youngest person in the room speaking. So I just want to make sure that we have enough young, youthful people on the team who are bringing in the right uh, values. Yeah, I think I think we have a running joke internally at Leap where we say that uh, there's a Gen Z and then there's the rest of us who do not understand the Gen Z slang. So you've got this abbreviation sort of a you know dictionary to go through as well. But um, speaking about uh, you know hiring a lot of new talent and freshers, for example, and like younger people, how do you invest in this new talent to make them grow within the company? You know, because earlier on, I think the initial days you mentioned you saw a lot of people exit and there was a lot of uh, attrition, so to say. So what is it differently that you're doing now to kind of grow the talent you know so um i think two separate points when i said in the early days there's attrition right and a lot of you will relate to this that when a company is not successful yet it's very hard to retain people and often when a company's performance improves culture improves retention improves 
Uh, so, you know, you often don't even need to do that much. If your company starts doing better and if your company is a bit of a rocket ship, uh, things generally improve. Um, so it's something I honestly feel that culture and performance often go hand in hand, which is sad, but a little bit true. Uh, but coming back to kind of my ethos is I have a couple of um, philosophies. The first is I think young people can do everything. I think that like I, at the age of 24, was the COO of Nike and doing a massive role. And I knew that I could do it. So when I look at people in my team now who are fresh out of college, 21, 22, I really just want them to feel like you can do anything. You don't need to feel like you're super layered here. You should and you can and you should raise your hand for absolutely everything. Um, so that's like philosophy number one. I think philosophy number two playing into that is I really believe in lean teams. I think over hiring and over staffing is the worst thing you can do because it actually really demotivates the people on the team when you you know, hire above them, hire side by side to them, let people have very large span of control, let them have large span of, um, you know, uh, of work. And, and, you know, both these things, I think the, uh, I, I love people, by the way, who are really motivated and self-motivated and very hardworking. And I love young people who are like that. And I feel like if you find those guys, you should give them a very wide mandate. You should not make them feel like they're a junior person on the team. You should make them feel like they're a senior person handling a large role. So I think what Nike is trying to do is keep teams very lean. And even when we when we understand our proposition from our employees and um, read like a lot of even exit interviews or whatever we read uh, in terms of feedback, I think what people like here is that at a young age they get very large roles. That's great. I think, uh, and that keeps it very employee first sort of a culture, Nika, from what I can see. Um, and it's yeah, something. That being said, I think Nika has a lot more to do, right? Like, um, again, just to be honest and candid, I think. Nike's growth has been so fast um, that, you know, the business has just taken off so well. I really think the next five years is about making us an incredible employer of choice. I think there's so much more we need to do to intentionally make this an amazing place to work. I think this is an amazing place to work because the pace of growth is so high, but I think we still need to do a lot more in terms of policies, in terms of career growth, in terms of you know, formulating a lot of that. I think a lot of people here probably fall through the cracks because they don't have the right manager or, or whatever. So I'm not saying it's all glorious. I think this is an area we need to work on uh, for the next five years or so. I think that those were, that was one of the questions that came up as well, you know, in terms of how are you kind of getting it right from your initial days to uh, scaling up and going where you are today as well. So very interesting to hear that, Advaita. Um, I'm going to pause down on all these questions about Nika right now. And I'm going to ask you, you know, for your journey of entrepreneurship, when you started back in 2012 and uh, now in 22, like when you're sitting over here 10 years later, um, is there anything that you believed in that at that point of time that still holds true today? And is and what are some of the things that you felt at that point and you had a very strong belief in, but um, it's been challenged and now has completely changed as well? Would love to hear that. Wow, that's... Uh... That's a really tough question with a lot packed into it, but um, let me try. Okay, so I think in terms of things that I feel like I felt from the beginning to now, um, one is like, I truly believe that all of us, when we set our minds to things, we can achieve anything. I don't think anything is out of anyone's reach, right? Um, I mean, unless, of course, you're trying to do something extremely technical, like build a rocket or like, you know, something in pharmaceuticals, but I think anyone who's trying to do anything, which is more like, consumer and like, you know, just common sense, you need to sort of apply yourself to, uh, I do really believe that you can do anything that you set your mind to and nothing should, you should never be in a situation where like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do it. I think if you commit to it, the world will like help it 
happen for you. So for example, when we started, um, uh, you know, uh, when we started, I didn't know anything about technology, right? But I said, I learned it. I figured out how to launch an app. I figured out how to put it together, figured it out, right? Now, fast forward a couple of years, my mom said, you know, you've not traveled India enough, go open all our physical stores. At that age, I, I mean, at that point, I, I had never in my life, I mean, I didn't even take interest in like, if the water wasn't working to get the plumber in the house. I had no interest in anything sort of physical. Um, but again, I figured it out, right? I learned how to do projects. I learned how to talk to contractors. I learned about HVAC. I learned about fixtures. I learned about costing. You kind of figure it out, right? So I'm a big believer of you should raise your hand for the most challenging task in the room and you will figure it out if you apply yourself. I think another thing that's held me in good, step, uh, good stead is I really believe in hard work. And I wish I could stand on the table and shout this to my, like everyone who works for NICA and anyone who's willing to hear, you work hard for yourself, you don't work hard for a company. And I just wish, you know, when I say that to team members, I don't know if they can take me seriously, but I, I just wish everyone really knew that, that the harder you work in your earlier years, just the better it is for you. You're investing in yourself, you're growing yourself, you're not working weekends for the company, you're working weekends for yourself, and you should be greedy to learn, greedy for knowledge, greedy for experience, because it all sort of um, compounds, and eventually you're going to gain, right? You can move companies, you can start a next company, you can do whatever you want, but I think hard work is incredible, and so I'm a big believer in constantly upskilling yourself, um, working really hard, being part of these kind of organizations, uh, go the extra mile, you know, like, I don't know if you're all entrepreneurs or some of you work in companies, I'm, I'm not sure the context, but just work hard, like take an Excel course on the side, take a public debate course on the side, um, read tons of research reports, learn about the stock market. Uh, if your boss asks you for XYZ, do XYZ plus plus. I think I'm a big believer in hard work. And I think even at Nike, the people who've really grown really, really fast are the people who was so hardworking that they became the point people in any team. I think what I've, uh, what I didn't know and what I've learned um, is when I was obviously younger, you know, 2012, 2013, I, and that made me a very overbearing boss. <laughs> and I think I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit of a difficult boss even now. I don't know if we have any NICA folks on the, on the group. I think I saw some names that I recognize, but, um, uh, but, team you know I would just insist that everything had to happen now it's breaking it's not working we've got to fix it and I think um what I've realized over the over time is first of all businesses take a long time to build nothing is going to break today you don't need to work your teams or yourself to the bone every single day people also have a limit I think you can push your team for like 20% of the time not more than that and honestly it's better for me that my people stay for five years rather than they get burnt out in one year and it's, it's better for me also. I also shouldn't get burned out. So just being much more long-term in thinking is, is another thing that I learned. Um, I'm thinking what else? I think it's not that I didn't know this early on, but I think over the last 10 years, I've developed my own leadership style. Um, so I think, you know, like I've always, like I've told you already that I struggled with um, being very emotional and very sensitive, even in my personal life. How do, you, how do you bring sensitivity, but also demand absolute excellence from your team is something that for a long time, I was either too nice and too empathetic or then too firm and too strict. And I think finding a balance. So like eventually one of my professors at HBS taught me this, but you know, she said, why don't you try to lead with equal measure of a soft 
heart and a strong mind. So in every equation, are you bringing rigor? Are you bringing discipline? Are you bringing hard work? Are you bringing, you're demanding the best from yourself and from your team, but at the same time, you're bringing some degree of empathy, some degree of sensitivity. At the end of the day, we're all humans and we require, you know, just a, a bit of love and care as well. Absolutely. I see a lot of heads nodding and a lot of smiles on, you know, people's faces when you went through all of this and um, a lot of relatable content and very inspiring for sure. Um, I actually want to ask you a little bit more on your leadership style, you know, because that's something that uh, we have a lot of budding leaders. We have people who've already reached a certain leadership position as well. Any um, top, like I know you mentioned something about uh, equal measure with a soft heart and a hard mind. And I think that's really beautifully uh, said. But any other tips for uh, people to you know keep in mind when they're leading teams specifically? Yeah, so many. I feel like leadership is my favorite topic. Um, so definitely my, my top one is strong mind, soft heart. You need both things. People cannot just work for a strong mind. You can be the smartest people person in the room, but if you're, if you're mean and rude, no one's going to want to work with you ever. Uh, so I really believe in that. Um, the second thing I believe in is like lead by example. I really, really believe in that. Um, again, I don't know if the people on this call who work with me know, I'm often, I'm always pretty much the first person in office and usually the last person out. I believe you have to lead by example. I don't like to take a day more of leave than what we give people in the company because I think you can't expect people to follow a leave policy if you're not going to follow a leave policy. Um, you know, how you speak to people. So, so basically all of that, just right, lead by behave properly, your team will behave properly is, is one thing I do believe. Um, I think a leader has to provide vision and communication. So really making sure that you're constantly communicating your vision, mission. I think when I worked on the beauty side, I didn't really have a vision, mission for the beauty side. In fashion from day one, I had a vision and a mission. And I repeat it in every, you know, every week I must repeat it a few times. And I think it really helps the team remain quite focused. So I would say a couple of, those would be a couple of things. A lot of pointers for everyone to take for sure. Um, I want to ask you, Adveta, uh, about, you know, the entire entrepreneur journey, especially the first stint of setting up beauty. You were fresh out of college and you started this journey and, you know, it, it can be a bit of a lonely journey, um, mm -hmm. though you were doing this with your mother, the we, we've always noticed and we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs talk about the importance of mentorship, you know, how important it is to have someone and to guide you through this as well. Is that something that you relied on also uh, very heavily? And is, is that something that you would recommend to a lot of people, not just entrepreneurs, but, um, you know, professionals, for example, to have that mentor and to have somebody guide you through a lot of stuff? I think uh, I had someone to fall back on more. Uh, I had my mother, of course, and we are really close and um, she's like the ultimate role model that one could have. So I think you feel luck. I feel really lucky in that regard, but you also need, you know, other people. Um, and I felt like I didn't have it for many, many years. Um, so yeah, I think if I would really encourage people to find that. And, and that's why I, I like these kind of sessions because I feel that, you know, it's really hard to find people who are going to be honest uh, with you and, I remember in those early days, I used to think that, am I the only one who feels, you know, so um, bogged down and overwhelmed and can I do it? Can I not do it? And I, I don't think I ever had anyone, right? And also you can YouTube this, but you're never going to find uh, this kind of candidness for sure. But yeah, so because I didn't really have mentors, um, I had my mother, of course, but beyond that, I didn't have anyone. I just poured myself into like a lot of books. So I read all sorts of business books. I read like pretty much every not every, but I've read a lot of business books, everything from the Starbucks story, Nike story, Amazon story, 
um, you know, Elon Musk, I've read about all the big, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, I've read about Warren Buffett, and from each one, I'm trying to pick up things, you know, like I said, Marcus Aurelius is a big um, kind of influence, everyone from Jay Shetty, um, you know, the monk, or whatever, whatever he calls himself. So I think I read a lot of self-help, I read young Pueblo or whatever he is. So I, I feel like I've always looked to literature to just find um, solace and wisdom. And then more recently, a couple of years ago, I did get an official sort of um, coach assigned by, by our board. And that has been hugely helpful from a professional perspective, but not really again, entrepreneurial highs and lows. So I don't have it, but I hope that these kind of communities give you guys that. Thank you so much, Adweta. And we hope that we're building um, to sort of address that gap as well. Um, there is a lot of, there's one question that's been continuously ask you i will get bombarded with this but uh, everyone wants to know what's the story behind the name nika uh would love to hear this i think there'll be some 10 to 12 questions on this so please. <laughs> okay so basically um there is a woman named alpana parida who is my mom's uh, college friend from iim and uh, she also now sits on our board and um she, in the early days of, you know, we went and asked her that what should we name the company? And she thought about it, she thought about it, and she's like, Nike. And um, the logic there was, uh, you know, it, it comes from the Sanskrit word Nayaka, which means like an actress or some a performer. And so then she anglicized it, right? The way apparently Lakme comes from Lakshmi and they anglicized it. So she anglicized Nayaka, Nayaka into Nayaka. And the whole thought behind it is that women should be the main actresses of their own life. So like put yourself in the spotlight, be the main performer, be the main actress, which is sort of one of the messages we wanted to give out as a brand as well. That's lovely. I hope that answers all of your questions as well. Uh, I, th I think it's a very empowering name. Nobody would have thought that that's the story behind it as well. Um, I am going to go back to something that you said, and I know I keep rewinding back to our conversation, but um, you know, you said that it's so important to kind of keep in mind that you don't burn out and it's not just you, but also your team. Um, how do you keep yourself motivated through it? Because I'm, I'm sure it's it's a tough journey and you you're leading a company with 4,000 employees, like you said, and everyone has those tough days and it does get a little overwhelming. So what keeps you motivated to go through all of it? I think, um, I think a couple of things, like I think fundamentally I enjoy solving difficult problems. So I think the work, I enjoy the work. Um, if you notice, even the types of things I've done at Nike has always been starting things from scratch because I love the complexity and like all the pieces you need to piece together for a launch. So I feel like, you know, you need to find the things within the work that really excite you. So for me, like starting new things excites me. Um, I, I love things that are technical. So, you know, whether it's reading company law or whether it's reading, um, you know, really understanding the IPO process thoroughly, like those are things that excited me. So I think you need to find parts of the work that are very motivating and exciting. Um, I think the second thing is, look, for, for the place, the role we play, being demotivated and not showing up 100% every day is not an option. Like, I don't think for any leader or entrepreneur who is responsible for a team, and it's not just an entrepreneur or leader, if you're a manager, you cannot not show up every day because people look to you every single day to show up motivated, then how are you going to motivate anyone else? So I've always felt that I don't have an option, right? Like before I come to work, no matter how much self-doubt I have, no matter whether I slept or not, slept, stressed out, not stressed out, fought with my husband, not fought with my husband, 
when I come into office, I need to really be like my absolute best self. And I, I really, I'm not just saying it, I feel it like every day in the car, I like get into the zone, walk into office with a smile, bring your whole energy to the, to every meeting. You just have to try your best. Like you've got, I've got 4,000 people who, if I'm not motivated, how can I expect any of them to be motivated? So I think I've not even had a moment to think that, hey, could I be motivated, not motivated? Um, and then the last thing, of course, is look, it is very overwhelming, right? So making sure you find things that give you happiness and joy. Like I think my husband has been one of the best things that happened to me in an entrepreneurial journey. Like I said, I never had someone to talk to, right? For so many years. And then I, I, I met my husband about four years ago. We got married three years ago. Um, he He's not my professional mentor at all, but I talk to him every day about all my stresses at work. And because he knows the kind of person I want to be and who I am, he's always able to guide me. Uh, so I think finding that person, making time for holidays, you just got to kind of balance it up. I think it's a journey. I don't think I figured it out, but uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts. All right. I think you definitely got an Advaita fan club running on the chat box. We've seen so many messages about and members are loving your honesty and, you know, just the candid, authentic self that you're being. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to regret this because it's all going to be on YouTube and then my husband's going to look this up and be like, oh my God, you told everyone this and all of that. I have a feeling a lot of members are going to go back to their partners and, you know, talk about this as well. But uh, we're down to the last uh, 10 minutes of the session and uh, we haven't yet spoken about, you know, the big IPO that came in last year. So um, would love to know, uh, Advaita, you know, it, it it's something that was the talk of the town for sure for the longest time. How is that journey into like, you know, just going in for the IPO? It was It was a disruptor in itself. And what was the feeling like at that point? Yeah, so um, the IPO is uh, an incredible topic to talk about. I think we knew, you know, we always knew, and again, this comes largely from uh, my mom's, you know, banking background. And then, of course, my, my dad is also involved in like finance, the capital market. So both of them always have told us and felt strongly that the right step for Nika will always be an IPO. Um, it, you know, it, it makes companies run in an extremely disciplined manner. Uh, it's much easier to raise capital once you're a publicly listed current uh, company. You have a currency from which you can buy things, acquire things. Um, so there are a lot of benefits that come from an IPO. I think leading up to it, there was a ton of hard work that one year leading up to an IPO was everything from getting finance in order, legal in order, compliance in order. Uh, we got a full new, we, we got a new CFO, a new CHRO, kind of all gearing up for that. There was a ton of work that went into it, a ton of learning as well uh, for me personally. Being on stage was a surreal moment. Um, I think it was definitely like sometimes in this journey, you don't even pause to think that, okay, we've achieved something or not. But I think that moment when the bell rang, I definitely had goosebumps and some um, little bit of like tears in my eyes. So that was special. Uh, but then of course the next day it was back to work and some customer called me saying that you sent me a kurta without the patta and I'm going to take you to consumer court. So you always just kind of snap back to reality. So you don't really get time to um, appreciate, but it was definitely a surreal moment. But I have to say that in comparison, now one year after an IPO, I think the year leading up to an IPO is easy. I think the year after an IPO is what's really hard because now, you know, you have to report your numbers quarterly. The amount of pressure I feel personally to deliver on numbers quarterly is, uh, it's, it's just a different stress. It's a different feeling. Um, before this, we never ran our business quarterly, right? We didn't have to report anything quarterly. Now suddenly you need to show results every quarter. So it's like a treadmill that sort of never stops. It's like you're doing these sprints four times a year, but you're also on this treadmill for like many years, you know? So 
it's a it, it's very different and i think what i'm trying to learn is um, how to not become very driven by quarterly because i think honestly again to build a company you have to have a longer term vision if you're just obsessed with the quarters you're never actually going to build anything good so learning how to deal with the short term and the longer term kind of thought process that's interesting and um, I, I actually have a question on this because we've spoken about what all Nika has done in the past now um, in the last few minutes I want to talk about what's coming up for Nika as well I know you um, I know a few Nika products are now available outside as well um, is, you spoke about going global as a big concept between choosing uh, to stay local um, is there anything is there a global expansion in the, in the plan I know there's a lot of acquiring of smaller brands that's happening but what's the next step for Nika what are we going to expect now yeah, well, actually, as we speak, you can you guys can Google it. But we just announced, like, literally two hours ago, a joint venture with a Middle East partner. So we're entering uh, the Middle East. Um, so you know, uh, Dubai, GCC, Saudi, etc., will all be covered. And um, the idea is to open a, you know a bunch of stores there. So that's exciting. Uh, so so yeah, I think like the bets have sort of been beauty online, beauty offline, then fashion online. We will do some fashion offline as well this year. Uh, now the Middle East business in parallel, we started something called Nika Man. If you don't have Nika Man, you should download Nika Man uh, for the men in your life. And um, then uh, we started something called Nika Distribution, Nika B2B, which is a distribution business where we sell to salons and Kirana stores and so forth. So these are some of the bets that we currently have and that are playing out. A lot of these are very new businesses. All right, congratulations on the new uh, announcement for sure. And I think a lot for all of us to look forward to as well. Uh, I can very clearly say there are a lot of Nika fans here and everyone's on the watch out to see what's happening next. Um, this also brings us to the end of the session, Adveta. I think it's been a great, um, you know, last uh, one hour where we've heard so much from you. It's been an absolutely candid and very, very insightful conversation. Um, before we do end the session, however, we would love to hear any parting words that you have for our members, anything that um, you would like to give them as an advice for their professional lives, whether an entrepreneur, whether a working professional. Sure. I think I first want to answer Priya Garg's question about why are there multiple apps for Nika and not a single app, because uh, that's a really important question. So can I just take that? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so we thought a lot about this when we were starting fashion, that should we just put it in one app or should we build separate? Um, at that time, it was just a gut feeling that maybe the way people shop for fashion is different from beauty. Maybe there's a more focused expert-led experience to be built in both. And honestly, there was one practical reason as well that the beauty team would never give fashion team real estate on the homepage. And I was leading the fashion business. Like these guys don't even give me the last banner on the homepage. And like, how will we build a serious fashion business? So those were some of the practical reasons and some gut feelings. And then we started the fashion business as a separate app. Um, and you know what? It was one of the best decisions we made, but we only realized a bit later. So for example, I've learned now that the way women shop for beauty and fashion is actually completely different. And I think a lot of you will maybe resonate with this, right? When you open the beauty app, you often know what you're looking for. You know, Maybelline Colossal Kajal, Lakme Iconic Kajal, you type in the name, it's very search-led. When you're looking for fashion, you and I all know it's an endless rabbit hole. You want to see a hundred products before you actually buy anything. You want to keep scrolling, searching, going deeper and deeper and deeper into the website. So this actually has very real implications in terms of how you design the app. Um, so the enormously, I mean, I can totally nerd, about, nerd out about this, but like every metric looks different on the beauty and fashion app. Um, and so it's allowed us to build that different focus you know, and then also we have different operating models in beauty. The same product sells well for decades that Estee Lauder Night Repair Cream has sold well for decades. 
in fashion, oh my God, like things sell well, like super well. And I think it's about to take off and then it just drops off a cliff. So it's very trend-led. So we actually have different operating models. One is more inventory-based, one is more of a marketplace. Um, so I think different apps has allowed us to build the businesses with different focus. And by the way, we've acquired, uh, you know, more than 2 million women on the fashion side as well. And a lot of them are not beauty customers. You know, a lot of people said the customer must be the same. There's a, I can't reveal the number, but more than a majority is not a beauty customer. So it's actually a new customer that's being acquired as well. That's um, a yeah. great insight for sure. Uh, I know the chat box is buzzing, but we're also running short of time uh, as well. Um, last words. I think I've given enough wisdom. Uh, <laughs> I've spoken too much, but um, what would be my, yeah, okay. I, I think my last piece of advice is I don't think you should let anyone tell you um, or comment on who you are. I think that uh, it's something I struggled with. I think for so long, uh, people have told me that you're to this, you're to that. Um, and I, I think you just shouldn't listen to any of it. I think like whoever you are is, is special and it's going to create magic in some way and you should not change yourself for anyone. So just to make that like more real, right? Like uh, I think, you know, four or five years ago, like some people, some senior people, mentors, board members, XYZ investors would, would tell me things like, oh, you're, you know, you're too soft, you're too sensitive. I mean, how irritating, right? Like, first of all, you have no idea the quality of my work. And then to just pass comments, you know, in this sort of manner, I think like over time, it's taken me time to realize, but that's actually also one of my superpowers, right? So all I'm trying to say is, um, yeah, don't let anyone tell you anything is good or, or bad. And I learned it too late. When these people would tell me that, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. Let me try to become a bit uh, different. And I think it's taken me a long time to be like, first of all, you don't know me. You don't have any place to really comment on me. And you don't know how this trait after, you know, affects me in a positive or negative way. I think really any criticism for yourself should come from within. I think you deeply know what your flaws are and what your flaws are not. And don't really let other people, including people who are close to you, um, comment. Absolutely. Like Pooja said on the chat box, you know, very powerful send-off words for sure, Advaita. Um, I think uh, once again, I'd really like to thank you for spending the last one hour with us. Um, like I said, the conversation has been very candid, very insightful and uh, a lot of takeaways. I think we would love to hear from all of you members um, what your biggest takeaway for the session has been on the chat box. That'll be great for us to kind of uh, learn as well. Uh, but before you leave, Advaita, um, like I mentioned, we would request you to stay back for the next 10 to 15 seconds. Uh, we want to play photographer uh, or whatever little we can. Rachna is going to take a couple of screenshots of everyone here on this um, session here today. So if you can switch on your videos, I'll give you the next five seconds, settle up, do your hair okay, and then we'll take a couple of pictures. Um, Prashna, are we ready? Yep. All right, everyone, get your smiles on. <laughs> there are quite a few screens, so just be a little patient with us uh, and we will get this sorted. <laughs> Prashna, let us know when you're ready. Sorry, there are like 10 screens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this has to be one of the uh, one of those sessions where we've seen that high attendance. So uh, Adweta, and I, th I think it's all thanks to you. So thank you so much uh, for doing this for us. And uh, we do hope to see you very soon at another LEAP session. And we hope that we can host another one for you because I feel the conversations haven't ended here and there's so much more to learn from you. So thank you so much. I'd love to just contribute in any way. I think you're doing something really special. So please count me as a believer and anything I can do to help, let me know.
Absolutely, Advaita. Thank you again for joining us here today. Uh, members, you've been a great audience. I think it's been engaging. It's been super fun hosting you all. And as always, uh, we loved having you here. We're going to see you at our next experience very soon. Uh, till then, have a great week and we will see you all very soon. Thank, Thank you so much, everyone.